Hi, and welcome to the first episode of the fourth season of the Business Continuity Podcast. So, 2020, that's been interesting. The theme of this season was meant to be business continuity, out of the shadows and into the spotlight. Our thinking was that over the last few years, cyber attacks, extreme weather, increased regulation and political uncertainty have shoved the BC profession to centre stage. At the start of 2020, that was quite a novel idea and we thought we might have to work to sell it. Then, COVID-19 happened. Now, I don't think we need to make the case for business continuity anymore. Instead, we're making coronavirus and the greater attention on business continuity the theme of this first episode. This season of the podcast is a little delayed because of, well, you know what. Our interviews took place at the start of the year, but it's taken us some time to piece it all together. We did release our first ever live episode back in May on the COVID-19 response, so hopefully that filled the gap until now. Before we introduce our guests for this season, I'm going to start with some of the discussions we had about coronavirus to give everything a little context. At the start of the year, it came up in our conversations, obviously, but it really wasn't something we focused on. It was something that was happening in China, but not yet a real concern for us. All the practitioners we spoke to were very well read on the subject. They knew what the situation was, they were prepared. But none really expected it to escalate the way that it did. Most had been through previous outbreaks, they knew the worst case situation, and they knew there was a good chance it could be controlled. Here are some of the snapshots of those conversations. So, for example, the, you know, the pandemic situation that's happening at the moment is not just affecting people in the UK, well, it's not affecting anyone right now, but people are seeing it on the news and worrying about it. Our people in Asia Pacific, you know, they're, they're living right, you know, with it right, right now. So their perspective versus our perspective are two very different things. But how do you address that and wrap it up as, as a consistent communication to your global employee community? So you're, you're walking quite a, quite a difficult line. So, for example, I have uh, today we're in the, in the midst of this uh, current, uh, I wouldn't say it's a crisis at all as yet, but we have an event that's running that is uh, we have to keep monitoring, which is the the pandemic, uh, I'm sorry, the epidemic that's currently uh, uh, going across the world. And even in my own circumstances, I have staff uh, in Italy. Uh, and uh, Italy right now is a sort of epicentre for Europe uh, and also is taking... Uh, the most, uh, some would say, draconian measures to actually try and manage this. Uh, probably, uh, I would. I don't think that's fair as the terminology they're doing. What they believe they should do in order to contain this for as long as they can. And we see this all the time when we talk to people. Um, you know, right now people are wrestling with the the coronavirus around the world, and we just heard recently that one of our alumni from our executive education program was talking about the cone and the queue problem, in that. Um, in one country, they're seeing it as rapid spread, possibly, you know, 1918 all over again. It could be a, you know, a huge global pandemic because they're looking at certain bits of evidence and have a certain perspective. Other people are looking at it and saying, you know, this is a variant on seasonal flu and a lot of people may get sick, but not a lot are dying at this point relatively. 
um, it's not that bad. And figuring out how to react and how, you know, they talk about quarantines and flight bans and all these other sort of major actions. If it's going to be a really big, bad thing, you want to take really significant large scale actions to prevent the bad thing from happening. If on the other hand, it's not going to be that bad, you don't want to overreact because of the economic consequences, the diplomatic and political consequences, all kinds of things unfold from a, from a big high consequence decision like that. So being able to appreciate different ways of looking at it can help you get to a more reasoned decision. Okay, let's introduce our guests for this year. Hi, my name is Richard McLeave. I am the Chief Executive of Continuity 2. Richard runs a business continuity management software company and consultancy. He started in operational risk for a utilities company. And we'll hear a lot from him on how BC has changed over his career. Uh, my name is Dean Beaumont. I'm the head of uh, business resilience for APAC, EMEA and the KNI and I work at Experian. When I met with Dean, we sat down in his war room. He'd just spent the morning talking with his office in Asia, dealing with the coronavirus outbreak. Prior to Experian, he's worked in banking, financial services, and has some interesting stories about his time in telecoms. Uh, so my name's James Krask. I uh, work for Marsh and I lead their business resilience advisory service based in London. Uh, Marsh is actually an insurance broker, um, but has a very large risk consulting business that sits alongside that, which is where I work. James has a really interesting job history. Most recently, he worked at PwC and the Nuclear Decommissioning Authority. He's involved in writing the international standards for BC and resilience. He was an emergency planning officer in local and then central government as part of COBRA. So, my name's Julie Goddard. Um, I'm an independent consultant working under the name of HumanX Resilience. Before Julie started consulting, she worked in local government, tech, food and drink, and was most recently the business continuity manager for the Solicitors Regulation Authority. Julie may have more stories about incidents than anyone we've ever spoken to, spanning IT failures, terrorism, and our first incident in space. Hi, I'm Simon Friesen. I currently work at Peabody as a business continuity and emergency planning officer. We first met Simon a few years ago when he was handling emergency management for Ealing Council. He asked us to be part of an event he held for local businesses in the borough. Unlike most people we speak to, who somehow fall into business continuity, Simon is our first guest who studied for a degree in the discipline. Although he's earlier in his career than most of the practitioners we speak to, he's already very experienced, having worked on major incidents every year so far. We talk about flooding in Croydon, and most notably, his experience of the enormous coordinated response to Grenfell. Um, I'm Eric McNulty. I'm the Associate Director of the National Preparedness Leadership Initiative, which is a joint program of the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health and the Harvard Kennedy School of Government. Eric is this season's odd man out. Each year, we like to speak to at least one person who isn't a practitioner. In the past, we've had cyber experts or looked to the hospitality industry for transferable lessons in incident response. 
Eric shares some of his research into crisis management and leadership and has some really practical tips. Even without coronavirus, there was already plenty going on to keep business continuity folks busy. We put our idea that business continuity is coming out of the shadows and into the spotlight to our guests. Here's what they had to say. Yes, I, I, I do see that actually. And I, and I think for the number of the kinds of incidents uh, you're talking about, the extreme weather certainly, and the you know, fires in the US and Australia, the volcano explosions, I mean, all those things, plus the, the continued increase of, of cyber and you've got civil unrest in, in Chile and in Hong Kong. Um, this is a very turbulent world. Um, those of us here at working on crisis management say, sadly, we're in a growth industry um, because lots of things seem topsy-turvy, which does make you think much more about business continuity. And I think that the big challenge for business continuity over the years has been, if something goes wrong, they fire you. If nothing goes wrong, they cut your budget. I would say it goes back a bit further than that. From my experience, I would say that the growth and the, let's say the spotlight on business continuity and organisations taking it more seriously has really grown quite exponentially, let's say, over the last five years. And that pattern continues over the last two years. I don't know if it's just about the growth in our own company, but that seems to be accelerating as well. So the evidence would be that, yes, it seems to be uh, been taken more seriously. It seems to be broken through uh, the barriers that within the last five years, uh, that acceleration uh, is tangible. Also, I would say that one of the biggest drivers for it over the last five years has been the emergence of business resilience as a subject rather than business continuity. That's a topic we're going to spend some time on a little bit later. Well, I'd say over the last 20 years, for sure, I've just seen it evolve and grow. And sometimes that evolution and growth has been spurred on. There's been a catalyst, some kind of event, either a global event or an event that's taken place you know, more, 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 um, more locally but has spurred on some kind of force that change or force that growth, force that evolution. And I've certainly, you know, my career certainly benefited from it in the sense that you know, I've been there, I feel like in on the ground floor and, and been part of that, that evolution. Um, I think definitely the last couple of years, particularly the advent of the um, Business Continuity Institute Good Practice Guides in 2018, where they talk about this organizational resilience and now that's kind of morphed into operational resilience working together with partner agencies like your facilities teams your your risk management your IT teams all of those different entities and all of those different elements do without doubt contribute towards this you know resilience um, ideology I suppose is a way to describe it um, I think that BC's got a massive part to play. I don't think it's the, the beginning and the end of everything. I certainly think it's a massive part, though. Cyber. Cyber's the big emergence, even in the period, I, the short time I've been working in the industry. Like, attacks like WannaCry kind of showed that you don't need to be a high-profile target to be hit. That was literally just a scattergun approach. Who's not updated? Let's find them and let's get some money out. And that's generally, I think, woke a lot of businesses up that actually 
if you did get a cyber attack, how are you going to ma- manage and maintain your your organization, your critical services? Because it could kill you, in theory, as a business quite easily. And I think certain cyber attacks which have happened have kind of dismissed that, oh, it's a big company problem. It's a bank's problem because they get attacked thousands and thousands of times an hour, probably. But actually, no one would have thought the NHS would have been targeted by a massive cyber attack. But they weren't really. Just unfortunately, lots of people got caught out by it. And I think that kind of fear that attacks like that have put in place have kind of brought business continuity to the forefront and Brexit. Each episode is going to have a different theme, but there are two things we're always going to finish with. Some advice, especially for smaller organisations and those who don't have in-house BC professionals, and some real-life disaster stories. For me, the best part of what we do is hearing about the real-life incidents. I think we might have the best collection of stories we've ever had this year. This one is particularly timely. It's about an infectious disease outbreak, swine or Mexican flu. It's also a different perspective. James Krask here talks about his experience of dealing with the outbreak from the perspective of Cobra and the cabinet office where he was working. There's some fascinating detail about the mechanics of decision-making, and it's an interesting comparison to what happened with coronavirus. And then I guess the other one I would use as an example, going back to to those days, is the uh, pandemic that came from um, Mexico, or swine flu. That was fascinating, because I was in Cobra for that one, and um, working in cabinet office. And you had a situation there where you had a science and technical advisory cell, they, they, they called it at the time, so eminent professors of, of you know, studying influenza. And their task was to advise the prime minister and ministers on policy around uh, vaccination of, as an example, vaccination of, um, of, of the general population. Now, there was, a, I think, in the early phases of that event, there was a little bit of tension between the two in that you had a science and uh, community that deal with probabilities not certainties and trying to you know disprove the hypothesis rather than prove it and decision makers in the command and control structure on the government side that wanted do we vaccinate or not cleared direction and the two couldn't couldn't come together in the early in the early days so that yeah there's different different behaviors and different sort of different approaches to tackling a problem but again all that comes out through practice and if you practice that beforehand then you you identify that's going to be an issue we went through hundreds of exercises on, and I'm sure they still still do because it's one of the big risks for um, for us all. Um, so it was well known about, and, uh, and and the plans were were very clear on roles and responsibilities. I think it was just a yeah, it, it, it was just interesting as a not necessarily observer because I was in the in the room, but seeing that play out in 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 in, in reality, it's interesting. It could have been a lot worse. I mean, one of the uh, I think I seem to remember. I'd have to check my facts on this, but I seem to remember that the. Uh, the health data that was coming out of uh, Mexico, which is where the first sort of cases were reported, made it look like the the uh, the virus was was very aggressive and would kill a lot of people. So based on modelling on that data, it it looked pretty bad in the early stages of the uh, of the event. But actually, um, as it played out, 
realised that some of that data wasn't as accurate as perhaps it, it could have been once we saw some of the cases come through our own sort of perhaps more stringent checks in, in the UK. So the, 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 the issue wasn't quite so significant, but it was still a big problem. We're going to finish today with a piece of advice from Simon Freeston. We often talk about planning for impacts, not scenarios. That means you don't need to worry about every risk and every eventuality. Just what could happen to your business. This sounds like incredibly prescient advice on how to prepare for the coronavirus lockdown. Actually, he was talking about the changes you should make to your operations if you think about resilience from the ground up. If you're looking at how you're going to run your business in a couple of years, why not build that resilience? So well, if, if we move everyone to flexible working, give them all laptops or mobile devices, which they can work on and have cloud-based solutions, it doesn't matter if our office is gone because we've got the infrastructure to carry on working from anywhere, but also probably half the size of our office because people can work from home. People like working from home, makes it a bit more flexible if you're childcare and stuff like that. So it's kind of a win for the people, a win for the business. You've saved money on, you might have had an initial outlay to buy all the equipment and stuff like that. But longer term, if you've managed to downsize your office, you're going to save probably more than you're spending. (laughs) 